right. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. I'm David. Uh, welcome to Redeemer Church Live. And we, uh, I'm going to just get going this morning. Uh, this is a picture of the Himalayan mountain range from a city in northern India called Jalandhar. And probably when you look at that image, there's nothing for us that immediately jumps out or is shocking about it. However, it's, it's really an incredible picture because for the first time in 30 years, the citizens of Jalandhar are able to see those Himalayan mountains. For 30 years from their city, even though the mountains are right there, they have not been able to see them. But because of coronavirus and the fact that people are staying at home and the factories aren't producing and the cars and the auto rickshaws are not clogging up the air, the f for the first time in a generation, these people are seeing these incredible, beautiful, majestic mountains, and they are in awe. You know, uh, the world looks very different now, doesn't it? We are seeing things that we have not been able to see before. We are being made aware of things that maybe we didn't want to see before, but now they're clear. And some of those things are beautiful, wonderful, and some of those things are, are challenging us. They're revealing things. They're exposing things that, like I said, maybe we didn't want to see. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared a, um, a poem that someone in our, uh, here in this Redeemer community wrote, kind of reflecting on how coronavirus had exposed some things in her life. And the poem said this, Corona is exposing me, exposing my weak sides, exposing my dark sides. Corona is exposing my addiction to comfort, my obsession with control, my compulsion to hoard, my protection of self. Corona is exposing the gods I worship, health, hurry, sense of security, misplaced trust. And you know, the thing that I really appreciated when I first read that poem was that that was mostly all true for me, too. I very much related to her in that I could see Corona exposing things in my life, and I appreciated her willingness to speak that and to be honest about that. But you know what I appreciated even more, why I really loved this poem, is because she finished it with hope. She said a few stanzas later, what Corona reveals, God can heal. What Corona reveals, God can heal. Y'all, as Mary Lee said, we are kicking off a new series of messages this morning. Uh, Jesus changes everything. And if you had to ask me, what, what is it about? What's at the heart of it? It's, it's, it's really that idea that what Corona has revealed, God in our lives can heal. Okay? And, and that's the hope that we are walking into with this, with this series of messages. Uh, man, we have a belief that in this thing that nobody wanted, that most of us are ready to be done with, uh, man, God can actually change this for good. 
He can take all these things that are not how we want them, but all these things that now that we're seeing and understanding and being revealed. And if we open our hearts and our minds and are actually willing to let him do some work in us and through us, Jesus changes everything. And so we're about to get in it. Actually, today we're going to start with a message where I'm going to talk about how coronavirus has revealed some of the dark sides of individualism and actually how God gives us something much better in friendship. But I want to pray um, as we start this series just for our hearts to be open and for willingness for us to have to let God actually work and change everything. So, so let, let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, I, we come to you this morning asking for your mercy and your grace, recognizing that, Lord, there are things right now that we're seeing that we did not see before. Recognizing, Lord, that there are things that we see that we need your help with, that we look at and we say, Lord, we need you to make this good. And so, Jesus, I pray that we look at those things with honesty, and Lord, we open our hearts with honesty, and we pray this prayer, Lord, Jesus, change everything. Jesus, change everything. And week by week, at the end of this thing, Lord, because of your work in our lives, we're better than we were before. We are more like your son Jesus than we were before. We know you in a deeper way. We've experienced your love. And I pray those things over everyone that is here with us today. In the name of your son Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. So kind of early in this whole situation, when everything was happening. One of the things that was on the news that a lot of us saw and actually were probably a little bit disgusted by was all of the parties that continued to happen on the beaches of America during spring break. I know y'all some of that saw some of that and I know y'all had reaction to that. That's an image of Miami Beach this year during spring break. And people are everywhere, right? And probably some of them are affected. And coronavirus is probably just like flying everywhere on that beach, right? And that was spontaneous. If you didn't know, that's actually how coronavirus moves from person to person, jumps around, right? (laughs) But I'm joking. Here's the thing. Uh, (laughs) uh, Remember, I want to defend those students just a little bit to begin with. Uh, That was really early on. I don't think we all really understood what was happening at that point. Also, I don't think college students on their spring break are super intently watching the news. Also, I think that all of us have had a bit of learning curve in understanding how this affects us and is affecting our world. And, uh, and man, I think that we need to give some of these students some grace. However, one of the things that did not help and maybe you saw this with some of the interviews that happened with those college students as they were, were being told about coronavirus and encouraged to, to leave the beach. I saw some of these interviews. I dug some up. Here were some of the things that they said. I'm not going home. I'm not going to let the government ruin my spring break. Another one said, the only corona here is the one I'm drinking. 
Another, that sounds like a frat boy, doesn't it? Another one said, I'm young, I'm going to be okay, right? None of that sounds really good in the backdrop of a deadly airborne global pandemic, right? But, but here's the thing that, that I want to point out. If you remove the context of COVID-19 from, from what they said, actually, we shouldn't be surprised by the things that they were saying at all. Uh, they were, in fact, uh, saying things that wouldn't have made the news or wouldn't have disgusted us because actually they're saying things that we have a culture have said for a very long time. They were stating their individual American autonomy and ability to make decisions on their own. And this is the thing that we have done as a people for a very, very long time. We have a lot of mantras where we assert our our individuality. Mantras like, you do you. Here's another, just be true to yourself. Here's another, I'm going to speak my truth. Here's another, be an independent thinker. And look, I'm not saying that those are all bad and there's not some truth and some value in them. I'm also not saying they are all good. What I am saying, what I want to point out, is they are all very reflective of a cultural perspective embedded deeply in the American psyche called individualism. Individualism. You guys heard that term before? I bet some of you have, but you've read it. If you grew up in America, you're part of it, but by and large, Western societies are individualistic societies. And in an individualistic society, the highest value is really the value of the individual. My individual identity, my individual autonomy. Myself, my choices, me. And so, in individual cultures, we've grown up hearing things like, You know, be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You can achieve anything. We see self-sufficiency as a huge plus. We are encouraged to be unique and to stand out. We are not concerned about what other people think when we make decisions. In fact, we're encouraged to make decisions regardless of what other people think because the ultimate good for us in an individualistic culture is to do what's best for you. On the other side of the cultural spectrum from individualism is a term called collectivism. Collectivism. Maybe you've heard that before, but most Eastern cultures and many tribal cultures tend to be more collectivist in their thought process towards society right? And instead of the individual being the most important entity in a collectivist culture, it's the group. It's the family. It's the community. It's the tribe. It's even the city or the nation, right? And the individual is valued to a lesser degree. And so in these cultures, the moral high ground isn't really being unique or distinguishing oneself. It's actually knowing what your role is, knowing what your place is, and and fulfilling that role, and in staying in that place. This term that we say with a derogatory manner, don't step out of line, is actually a very positive thing in collectivist cultures. 
And, uh, and you, it's because the ultimate good is the collective good. Now, here's the question that we ask, is an individualistic perspective better than a collective perspective, right? We Americans probably have our very uh, assumed ideas about that. We don't want our parents arranging our marriages, right? Or our career being defined early on in our lives without any choice about it, right? And, and, uh, and man, here's the thing I want to say. I'm American. I get that. Uh, but in reality, I think when you look at culture, it's always a mixed bag. I think it's always a mixed bag. I think there are elements of individualism and collectivism that are good, uh, that I would even say the Bible would affirm, but I would say that there are also elements of individual and collectivism that, that fall short. Places where there are blind spots, things that those perspectives don't see. And, and here's what I think Corona is doing. It's exposing one of the biggest blind spots in the individualistic perspective. And to use the words of a very famous poem, this is the blind spot. We are not islands unto ourselves. John Donne. We are not islands unto ourselves. We do not exist separated, isolated, doing whatever we want without any effect on the rest of the world, right? Whether we want to admit it or not, what corona has shown us is that we are profoundly and undeniably and in some ways terrifyingly connected to each other in a, in a very real way, right? once heard this quote years ago, when France sneezes, all of Europe catches a cold. <laughs> it's really clever, and I'm not sure I ever realized the truth of, of it. Actually, it wasn't even about sickness. It was about global politics. Uh, but uh, it, it's true for sickness, because isn't that kind of exactly what's happened here, right? It, it's really incredible uh, that something happened in one part of the world and has affected all of us, because that is what happened, right? Somehow there was this bat virus or whatever it was that jumped into human beings, and it infected one or two. And then those one and two infected people, like, went and talked to and brushed up against and gave water droplets to other people, and those other people got infected, and those infected people moved around and saw other people, and they talked to, and they bumped into, and they gave water droplets to other people, right? Remember how, it, how coronavirus moves? <laughs> but, but they got infected. And then, months later, there are people traveling all across the world getting infected, and now Chuck E. Cheese is closed, and we're watching church from our living rooms. It's crazy what has happened. It's nuts, but it shows us it shows us how, how something all the way on the other side of the world that we had no idea about actually can have an impact, a profound impact on our lives and the world. We are connected to one another. Coronavirus reveals how connected we are to one another. And it's showing us that we can't just do what we want. What's always best for me? Uh, there is a cost to our decisions and it might be human life. And because we can't beat this virus alone, there's also a responsibility to our decisions. We have to take consideration for everyone else around us in a way that maybe we haven't realized before. 
in a profoundly loving way that maybe we haven't realized before as individualists. And that's actually the first place I want to move us in our scripture this morning because I think Jesus speaks to it. Mark 12, familiar passage. Jesus is debating religious leaders and one of them comes up to Jesus and asks him this question. Jesus, what is the most essential critical part of God's law? And this is his answer. The most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Okay, that's the most important. That's the first thing he says. Love God with everything you have, okay? But it's the second thing that he says here that's really relevant and speaks to what we've been talking about this morning. It's this. The second is this, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, what I want you to see is in this quick, simple, deep statement, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus actually both affirms and critiques an individualistic perspective and a collectivist perspective. Both of those things. He affirms them and he critiques them. Let me explain. Jesus, based on this passage, is clearly for loving ourselves, thinking about ourselves. He's for the individual. That's why he says in this sentence, love, dot, 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 yourself. Love yourself. And I realize that love your neighbor as is sandwiched there in between it. But you see, the way that you, you love your neighbor is by loving yourself. There's an implicit uh, thing being said there about how we really actually are supposed to love ourselves. Uh, because you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And man, self-love is a really, really important kind of love. We need to know God loves us, and we need to know that we ought to have a, a healthy relationship with ourselves. That's affirming a part of individualism, and frankly, it's good, okay? However, there's a qualifier, right? This is the critique of self-love. It doesn't stand alone. Jesus doesn't say, love yourself. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's also telling us is that our neighbor's good, our neighbor's well-being, it matters too. Actually, it matters even as much as our self-love. So this is a mind-blowing proposition for the radical individualist. We're not an island unto ourselves, right? No, you're not. You got to think about everybody else in the rest of the world, all the neighbors. And, and it's even, honestly, I think we even struggle to understand as individuals what it means, how in the world we could, we could love our neighbor as ourself. But, but that's because partly it's an aspect of collectivism that Jesus is talking about here. It's not total collectivism because self-love is there too, but he's affirming the fact that we don't think about everything primarily from this perspective of self. So what Jesus is doing here is he's holding two things in tension. Individualism, collectivism, self-love, neighbor love, and he's saying both of these things matter, right? And just a step back, Jesus does this with every culture. 
He, he actually affirms things in every culture. He critiques things in every culture. And as Christians, we're not supposed to just lean into the culture we grew up in, assuming it's right. What we're actually supposed to do is take on a, a new culture, a Christian culture. We're born into the family of God, the kingdom of God. And by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 1 through 2, we take on the value and understanding of the world through a, through a biblical, Jesus-centered perspective, right? And that is, is what Jesus is saying here. If you're going to follow God, if you're going to be part of this kingdom culture, my culture, you've got to love yourself and your neighbor together, okay? And let me challenge you then, individuals, rugged, independent Americans, right? Uh, while this self-love thing is pretty important, if this is an even scale, right, we're probably going to pretty naturally tip towards the self, aren't we? Isn't that where our tendencies are going to be? And, and really the shadow side of individualism is that it makes us selfish. It's that it's sinful. It's that the way we frame, the way we look at the world is always through me, my time, my money, my decisions, my preferences, my career, my future, my wants, right? Me, my, oh me, oh my, right? We think about the world through, through the lens of ourselves, and that's the water we're swimming in, right? And so what I think we need to do to, to balance this scale a little bit, here's just one way that we could maybe do it, is to intentionally include our neighbors in the decisions we make in the way that we're thinking about the world around us. And so, for example, like right now, you know, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is always look to buy the cheapest thing, right? The most convenient thing, right? But um, food, clothes, toys, whatever product it is, what, what about if, if right now especially we didn't just make a decision based on what's best for my pocketbook or what's easiest on my time, but we thought about our our neighbors who literally are physically close to us, who, who, who work at and own local businesses, and we buy local. That is an incredibly simple, easy way to, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to, to, to do what we can to support those around us, even if it's maybe not, from a me perspective, the easiest, best, cheapest thing right? Because we've got to do this. We've got to do what we can. Because if we don't, right, a lot of these businesses are not going to be here at the end of this. Here's another, here's another thing. What, what if in, you're part of a team or an organization or even at work, and, and instead of naturally, what we naturally do is, is always think, well, what do I need to do? What's best for me? What is best for my desires, right? My development, my career, right? What if instead we, we actually tried to take a more collective approach to that? What if we said, what's best for everybody? What's best for the mission? What's best for, the, for this business even? And I know that that's a hard thing to hear for a lot of us, but I actually don't care. I think if you're not challenged, you're not hearing Jesus right on this. And I think he's trying to challenge us, right? Uh, here's another one. What if the next time you have time, you get a free hour or two. Maybe instead of thinking, like, what do I want to do with my time? You, you flip it around. You say, God, what would you like to, me to do 
with this time that you've given me. You've blessed me with this time. How can I use it as a blessing to someone else? Right? Um, Let me just throw one more in there. I beg you, actually, on this one. In the way that you participate and think about your relationship with God and a church, please don't always think of it from an individualistic, me-centered perspective, right? If you hear yourself saying over and over again, that's not my preference, that's not what works best for me, right? That, that's not what I want to do. Let me assure you, you're, you have bought into a individualistic, consumeristic approach to something that is so much richer and more beautiful than that. And, and let me tell you, you're probably selling yourself short of what God could do in you and through you. And, and, and y'all, God wants to work in us and through us. And it's when we open up and we stop turning inwards that God suddenly is able to, to work with that space, to do something in us, to change us, to make good in us. Right? And that's actually where we're led to the next scripture that I want to read today. John 15, verses 12 through 13. This is again Jesus, and he says, he says this. This is my commandment. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Okay, so this is Jesus. He's at what is called the Last Supper, the last night he has with his disciples. He's teaching them things he really wants them to hear. He's foreshadowing very much in this specific verse the death that he's about to die for the sake of his friends so that they could have their sins forgiven, so that we could have new and renewed life, man. And and what I really clung on to in this verse, what immediately jumped out at me was actually the connection that Jesus is making between friendship and sacrifice. How he connects sacrifice to deep, meaningful friendship, to to strong love and friendship. There is no greater love, he says, than to lay down your life, than to sacrifice oneself, than to give something up for who? Your friends. He's connecting sacrifice to to deep, meaningful friendship. And and what he's saying is friendship is what happens when we give ourselves to someone else. When we're not thinking about me, when we're giving ourselves to someone else. Jesus is actually implying here the more we give of ourselves, the deeper, more meaningful our friendships actually are going to be. Right? And here's, here's where this is relevant. Have any of you guys seen this guy before, this, this picture on the internet? That dude is amazing. <laughs> that picture is, is brilliant. If you can't see it, it's a guy with, uh, with all these pool noodles across his head in a hat shape, right? And so what he has figured out is pool noodles are about six feet long, close to it. And if he puts them all around his head, he's got a radius of security there <laughs> and and uh and it's brilliant i mean i uh i just i was laughing so hard when i saw it's actually a group of guys in our growth group we were just kind of imagining his thought process right as he's standing there scowling like in the store 
I'm here for my stuff, right? Leave me alone. Don't come anywhere near me. I'm going to take care of me, right? If you get within six feet of me, I'm going to do this to you, right? I'm going to hit you with the pool noodles. <laughs> and, uh, and while I have zero critique, zero critique about this as an option for social distancing, okay, I wonder if figuratively, in fact, do it, please. Please do it and take a picture and send it to us, okay? But I wonder if figuratively, this is, figuratively, this is the pinnacle of individualism. Like, and I'm seriously saying that. Um, I'm here for me. I'm worried about me. I'm not really interested in you. You are an impediment to me, right? And here's what I want to ask. If that's the way that we kind of are thinking primarily, does that lead to deep relationship? No. Does it create good friendships? No. Connectedness? No. I doubt this guy's a social butterfly. I think what this leads to is, is disconnection and isolation because what's happening is everything is pointing inwards. It's about me instead of outwards, which is what Jesus is saying. That's how friendship actually happens when we go outwards. And have you, have you had a, a relationship with a friend, with a friend where things always went inwards? Have you been in that kind of relationship before? That's tough when everything is about them. When it's always conversation about their needs. You're always trying to, to do what they want to do, right? Every story comes back to them. All the drama ends up being back about them. You listen to that person, you show up, you try to support them, but honestly, you feel like you give and you give and you give and you give, and it's hard when it doesn't feel like there's anything given back. Those are hard relationships to hang in there on, and that's because friendship is stronger when we give of ourselves. To have deep, meaningful friendships, we have to give of ourselves. And so here's where I think Jesus speaks into this, what's been revealed. This is where I think Jesus challenges us. And, and, and here's my hunch. I bet that right now there are people, maybe some of us, who are sitting at home feeling very disconnected and isolated. Right? And honestly, on some degree, I think that's just inherently part of what we're dealing with right now, and that we can't be physically together. We were made to be in relationship with other people and not just through Zoom, right? Um, but, but I imagine that even, even through some of the options available, some of us are just feeling isolated and disconnected and scrolling through our social media feeds with this new horrible case of FOMO brought about by the coronavirus, right? But, but what if one of the best ways to actually deal with that was to not think about yourself, but to flip it around and start thinking about someone else? Other people, your friends. And so what if you answered this question? How can I be a friend to blank? What if you asked yourself that question? How can I be a friend to blank. And whoever comes to mind, fill in the blank with their name and then ask yourself, how can I be a friend to them? How would they appreciate my friendship right now? What is one way I could give of myself for their good, right? And let me say, it doesn't have to be big, it, not at all, right? It could be as simple as saying, hey, can I call you? Talk on the phone, right? 
Maybe if they're busy, you could just write them a text message and send something encouraging or fun or funny. Uh, Maybe you could sit down and write them a letter. Maybe you could drop off their favorite food or, or a beverage on their front porch, right? It doesn't have to be big. Think creatively, but think, how can I be a friend to blank and turn that around? And, and I love the way that we don't even have ourselves in this, in this question at all. We're not there, right? We're only asking, how can I, I guess we are there and that we're asking I, but we're saying, how can I, what, give to someone else, do something for someone else? And here's what I think will happen when we do it, based on exactly what Jesus says. I think when we give of ourselves, actually, we're going to feel greater connection. We're going to feel less isolated we're going to actually see Jesus build deeper friendship there. And, and man, um, I think Jesus can change everything. I hope you'll be open to that. I hope you'll do, he'll do it for you. And, uh, and let's just pray and ask God to do that for us now. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much um, for the way that you speak into some things, Lord, like this. To help us see how our individualism can lead to selfishness and our selfishness can lead to isolation. But Jesus, I pray even more that we would see how our giving can lead to friendship and our friendship can lead to exactly what we, re- what we need right now. And so if there's somebody that needs to answer that question and there's a name that you need to put there by the power of your spirit, would you do it now? And Lord, if there are things that we need to see, places where we are way too self-oriented or even just too much in a smaller way, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, make us see that right here and right now. Lord, so that we would know your grace and your mercy, and you would change everything. These things we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.